and welcome to the Bikers Church Midrand Podcast. It's great to have you join us for this week's episode. We hope that you find this valuable for your daily life. So good to have you all here with us this morning. Lawrence, it is good to have you here all the way from East London, sir. <laughs> awesome. So, if you've, um, if you were here last week, you'd know that, that last week we, we kicked off with a new series. We kicked off with a, with a new, um, uh, sermon series just called Armor. And, uh, to, to kind of fill you in, if you, if you weren't here last week, to just fill you in on, on, on what we spoke about last week. Ultimately, we spoke about have you ever had this day where it just feels like all hell is breaking loose and you're starting to believe that hell might have something to do with it? You know what I'm talking about? Like we, we said last week, your life's a country song, you know, like your dog died and your car won't start and you got fired. Your spouse won't speak to you. And it's, it's, it's that sort of, that sort of scenario that we're talking about. And ultimately what we really spoke about was there seem to just be these obstacles, very strategic obstacles that just seem to, to get in your way at very specific moments in time. And you're starting to feel like there might actually be some form of a plan behind all of this. It almost feels orchestrated. Well, Paul spoke into it, into it in the, in the book of Ephesians when he, he spoke about the, the strategies of the devil. Now, right now you may be wanting to grab your handbag or grab your husband or grab your wife or whoever and head out the door because this is where it can get weird. And we aren't interested in getting weird at all. We, if you were here last week, you know that we kept our feet firmly planted on the ground. So just hang in there with us. For today, you may be saying, Ramon, strategies of the devil, I'm not even sure the guy really exists. Here's, here's the statement that we made last week. We said this, we said, the devil couldn't actually give a rip whether you believe in him or not. He's not interested in your recognition. He's interested in your distraction, which leads to your destruction. So what Paul said he said in these moments we should, we should put on a godly defense. He, he, he spoke of the, the armor of God. He said put on the full armor of God. And we said it's not a physical touch and feel armor. It's a spiritual armor. It's, 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 it's these godly defenses that we build up in our lives so that when we're in these moments, there's something for us to lean on. This is what Paul said. He said that we are to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. What, what was Paul saying? He said, he said, guys, ladies, do everything in your power to live a good life. Do everything in your power to live a good life. But understand, not everything is in your power. In fact, it has nothing to do with your power. Because it's in these moments that it's not my responsibility to fight off the devil. No. My responsibility is to surrender to Jesus. And when I surrender to Jesus, the good news is that he fights on our behalf. So the first line of defense that we spoke about was the belt of truth, as Paul put it. And really just this, this, this truth that he says we must put on 
again, we just spoke about the fact that the truth is more a who than a what. That, that, that first off, it's a who. That Jesus said to us in the book of John 14, he said, he said, I'm the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. So when Paul's saying, hey, put on truth, he's saying, put on Jesus. Daily, put on Jesus. And when we make, when we put on Jesus, we, we're really just making Jesus the center of our lives. Isn't that the truth? So how do we do that? We do that by engaging with the what of the truth, which is just the Word of God. Engaging with the Word of God, but not just engaging with it. Last week we challenged you. Remember that? We, 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 we gave ourselves a challenge and we said, hey, let's for the next 52 weeks, just one truth a week, let's memorize it. Let's memorize one truth a week for the next 52 weeks. And by the end of the year, we would have 52 truths that we could go back on. So when the devil comes and he tries to remember, to remind you of your past, you can just remind him of the saving grace of Jesus and even remind him of his future. So I engage with the, with the what of the truth of God by committing to memory the truths of his word. So I said, if you guys join in with us and you remember the verse, we're going to have some fun. Remember that we said we're going to, we're going to have a bit of a, bit of a moment in the service. So if you're visiting with us, we never do this. We are literally just doing this for, for this series. Um, hopefully they'll make you want to find out what's going to happen next week as well. Um, but, but here's the deal is if you have memorized this week's truth, and you can actually recite it. We have got four bags right up front here. That one's heavy. I think I just gave something away there. All right, we've got four bags up front here. And inside each one is something different. So if you can recite the scripture and you want to know what's in that bag, then the first person up here to recite the scripture gets to choose a bag. I'm so sorry, Brad. I was sorry, Brad. It was very close. It was like photo finish, I promise. All right. Okay, Neil be Mike me. Beautiful. Let's give her a hand. All right, Monique, now you get to choose a bed, but choose wisely. Because not... <laughs> there we go. All right. But you're going to have to show everyone what's inside. Because I also want to know what's inside. What is it? Oh, beautiful. Okay, you picked the right bag. Good job. I know for a fact that there's a toilet roll in one of those bags. So that's why I was uh, not sure which one she'd, she'd picked. All right. <laughs> awesome stuff. So this week, this week essentially, 
we're just going to carry on with, with that exact verse, um, with, with Ephesians 6 verse 14, where, where Paul had said, okay, so, so put on this armor, put on this truth that is Jesus. And then it, straight after that, he, he, he says something else. He says, put on the belt of truth, but then he, he says, and the body armor of God's righteousness. Now for us who ride motorcycles, we're good with that. You know, body armor, we understand. In other translations, it says, it says the breastplate of righteousness. Whether your Bible says breastplate or body armor, he's saying the exact same thing. He's saying, he's saying, put on this defense of God that, that guards you. But, but if you consider, where does a breastplate cover? Right? It covers your heart and it covers your vital organs. If you think of body armor, same story. And I, I, I find it very interesting that he talks about the part that covers specifically your heart, that he talks about righteousness. That he talks about the righteousness of God. It's like he's saying, hey, when we, when, when we take on the righteousness of God, it's God's righteousness that comes in and protects our hearts in times of trouble, in times of crisis. He went on to say this. It was the psalmist, in fact, who said, above all else, guard your heart, because from it come flow the issues of life. Thank you, Paul. You see, folks, I don't think that, that Paul, by accident, uh, spoke about the righteousness of God coming and covering us, and, and, and specifically covering the, the very place where all the issues from life flow. You see, when we are in a space of, of unrighteousness or even self-righteousness, it, it means that we are left vulnerable. It means that we are left in a place where we are, where we are, are, are open and, and, and exposed during a time of crisis. So, as we've said, righteousness, what is righteousness? I mean, it's a pretty big word. It can even feel like a bit of a churchy word. What is righteousness? Righteousness really just means in right standing with God. When we talk about the righteousness of God or, or taking on the righteousness of God, what we're really just saying is that, that, that we are in a place where we are in right standing with God. If we read the original language, it talks about, it talks about being in right standing with God in our integrity, in our virtue, in our purity of life. It talks about being in right standing with God when it comes to our, our thinking, our feeling, and our acting. Now, I don't know about you, I think we can all agree that that's not our default setting, is it? Don't look so holy. For yourself, hey? That's not our default. Our default setting isn't in right standing with God. It's not our default. Our default setting is unrighteousness. Our default setting is, is often self-righteousness. But our default setting isn't the space where we are in right standing with God, where our thinking is like Him, our feeling lines up with His heart, and our, 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 our actions line up with what we saw Jesus come and portray. So, we've said what's righteousness. Righteousness is in right standing with God. 
What's unrighteousness? I went and looked up the definition, and I wish I was joking to you, but literally the, the dictionary said, not righteousness. I was like, come on guys, give me a break here. Help me out a bit. So unrighteousness is not righteousness. So it's not in right standing with God. That's, that's unrighteousness. And I, I don't think we need, even need to elaborate too much on unrighteousness because let's be honest, we've all been there and we all know what that looks like. So what is self-righteousness? Have you ever met a person who has like this huge superiority complex? You know what I'm talking about? Hey? Where, where in conversation, man, they are so good at pointing out everyone else's mistakes and everyone else's faults, but they are absolutely blind to their own. Absolutely blind to, to, to their own flaws, their own failures, their, their own little things in life. Because folks, we all have our little things in life. So while we were researching this, we, we hopped onto, we found a, a self-help website. And the self-help website said that they could actually help you deal with people who are self-righteous. We were like, dude, I don't even have to prepare. I can just copy and paste. We're good. So we went and clicked on it. And this is what they said. They said, how to deal with a self-righteous person. Step one. Be better than them. I was like, isn't that a bit self-righteous? Man, we laughed. We laughed. And, and, and so we started thinking like, how do you get there? How do you get to a space where, where you actually get to an answer like that? See, the way that we get to an answer like that is because here's the truth about self-righteousness. Self-righteous people are seldom self-aware. Self-righteous people are, are, are seldom self-aware, N- not aware of their own stuff. Jesus spoke into this, and he tells us a story. He, t- he told the, his, his disciples and the people that he was with in, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, he told them a story. And he just, he, he, he told a story of two men who went to the temple to pray. The one man was a, was a prominent man in, in the community. He was a Pharisee, which just meant that he was a religious leader of the day. And he was really highly respected. And then, then there was this tax collector who was despised in his community. Why? Because who were tax collectors? They were Jews who turned against their own people. I mean, they were doing Rome's bidding on their behalf. They were taxing their own people. And here's what Jesus said happened next. It says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. Jesus carried on. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow 
saying, Oh God, be merciful to me from a sinner. Jesus ended the story like this. He said, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. It was Solomon, in all of his wisdom in Proverbs 3, that said to us, don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. The New King James says, do not be wise in your own eyes. When I, when I read that, I, I immediately think of, of this moment that, that Jesus was speaking about, the story that Jesus told to, to really portray what does self-righteousness really look like. And I just think to myself, one man was wise in his own eyes. The other man, if I can use the words of Jesus, knew that he was lost and in need of a Savior, as we all are as we've all found ourselves somewhere along the line. You see, folks, righteousness produces humility in our lives. Righteousness produces humility, but self-righteousness produces pride. And, and, and it produces the state of being, of being critical of others all the time. So here's the question. What kind of person do you like to hang out with? Who do you like to spend time with? The, the, the person who, who is just relaying story after story after story of how bad this one is and how bad that one is and these people's marriage are falling apart and this guy's not getting it together and can you believe that this is just negativity all the time? Or do you like to hang out with people who are humble, loving, compassionate, caring, because that's what humility produces. And as we talk through this, I, 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 I think the next question is, what kind of person do I want to be? <laughs> do I want to be that self-righteous person? That when people need to come and have dinner, they're like, oh Lord, let's arrange a phone call halfway through dinner so that we can just get the heck out of there. You know what I'm talking about. Don't pretend like you've never done that. Or do you want to be that person where people are, are, are drawn to your humility? Where people are drawn to the care that you show, the, the, the love that you show for them, especially in critical moments? You see, folks, Self-righteousness, as we said, it, it, it produces this pride. It, it produces this, um, this, this constant criticism. Because pride is me-focused. Pride turns, turns the attention to me. It, it, it's always got these neon signs pointing to me. It's just like, Ramon, 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 Ramon. That's pride in my life. In your life, pride is just this, this big neon sign that wants to point to you. But, but humility... True humility takes the spotlight off me and shines it right onto Jesus. And I don't know about you, but man, that's a life I want to live. See, self-righteousness 
in my life glorifies me. Self-righteousness in your life glorifies you. And the truth is, folks, my glory, your glory, is far too small a thing to live for. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 15, Paul said, Jesus died for everyone so that those who received his new life will no longer live for themselves. I want to be there, man. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. See, folks, we, we need to understand that what Paul's just communicated there to us is that I can do nothing to justify myself before God. Nothing. There's nothing that I can do in my own mortal power that can make me in right standing with God. It is through Jesus and Jesus alone that we are justified before the Father. Humility to God is living for God's glory, folks. It means that I'm secure in Him. I'm found in Him. I don't have to try and figure out my identity because I've, I've been found in Christ. And, and as I'm found in Christ, He starts to become found in me. Like people start looking at me and they're not wondering who is this oak? What's he all about? That after a while they're like, I don't actually give a rip about the, 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 the wrapping paper. I don't care about the window dressing. Man, there's something in there that I want and that I need. Our identity becomes found in Christ. I don't have to be seen. My entire life starts to move to a point where all I want is that Jesus is seen through my life. Paul carries on and he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 16, just the next verse. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Man, what's he saying? Man, stop looking at people through human eyes. Stop looking at at the at the guy at the traffic light, man. The 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 the, the person who's who's dressed like someone that you'd never want your daughter to end up with. Stop looking at them with with a with a hairy eyeball. Start seeing them through through God's eyes. Start, folks. I was that guy. For heaven's sakes. I was, but because people loved me with the love of Jesus, I'm here today. Just stop looking at others through a lens of self-righteousness. But start to ask God, Lord, will you give me your heart for this person? Lord, can I start seeing these people through your eyes? Because I, I want to look at them the way that you looked at me when I was in that state. The point here, folks, is that we need to gain God's heart for people. Full stop. 
No matter who they are, no matter the color of their skin, no matter the language they speak, no matter the, 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 the class that they are in in society, their, their socioeconomic state, none of that should matter to a heart fully sold out to Jesus. Andy Stanley uh, said, said this. He said, you can't treat my kids badly. You can't treat one of my kids badly and be okay with me. So why do we expect that we can treat God's children badly and be right with him? See, to be righteous before God, we must treat his children the way he treats us. Paul carried on in, in verse 17, and for those of you who are joining us in this challenge, this is this week's truth. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The new life has begun. Some of us learnt it by memory in the New King James where he said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, see, look, all things are now new. He carries on and he says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task to reconcile people to him. What is the vision of this church? To bring the unchurched into a lasting relationship with Jesus. What did Paul just say? God has given us this task of reconciling people to Him. He, carry, he, he ends off this section in verse 21. He says this, he says, For God made Christ, who never knew sin, to be the offering for our sin. That's every single one of us, folks. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. I want you to listen to this next statement very carefully because it's very important. Jesus didn't come to earth to make bad people good. Jesus came to earth to make dead people live. Yeah. See, folks, that's me and that's you because somewhere along the line we were all dead in our sin. We weren't bad people for the sake of being bad people. No, we were dead in a, in, a, in a sinful nature. And that's why Jesus came. He didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people love. Jesus told the story. You can find it in Luke 15 from verse 11 through 31. He came and told the story of a father with two sons. We know today as the, as the, the parable of the, of the prodigal son. It's a really bad title. It should really be called the, the, the parable of the loving father. But this, the youngest of the two boys, he, and I'm paraphrasing a heck of a lot, 
this morning, but essentially he comes to his father and he, he just says to him, hey, I want my inheritance, which back in the day meant, hey, I wish you were dead. In fact, and he says, I want my inheritance, I want everything that I'm owed, <laughs> and I want it now. And the father gives it to him, and the boy goes off, and he goes and he squanders it all. He parties it up. He, he, he loves this life of just, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, pretty much. And at one point, the party runs out because the money runs out, and he ends up kick, you know, tending pigs in a pigsty. And, and he reaches a point where he's so hungry that, that he actually starts looking at the pig food, and it starts becoming appealing. Like it starts looking like a, like a good deal. And in that moment, he, he kind of has this sober moment where he's like, man, the servants in my father's house eat better than this. And he decides to return back to his father where he will, he'll justify himself as, as starting as a servant. He'll like work his way up. I'll go and I'll be a servant in my father's house. So he, he heads off back home. But you see, the father never gave up on the son. Every day, it's, Jesus tells us that every day this father would go and, and stand and look out to the road to see if his son was returning home. Every day, he'd head out and he'd go, hey man, where's my boy? And one day, as this father is looking down the road, he sees his son come walking toward him. And it says that from a far distance off, the father spotted him and ran towards him. And he runs up to him and he embraces him and he hugs him. And the son starts his whole speech that he's kind of been rehearsing his whole trip home. And he, he says, you know, dad, hey, you know, I, 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 I'll, I'm so sorry. I'll come. I'll be a servant in my house. But the father pays no attention to what the boy is saying. He just calls the servants and he says, hey, come get a ring for this boy's finger. Get a robe for his back. Because my son was blind, but now he sees. He was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. Nothing about earning his way back. No, the Father was waiting for him. Folks, and so often we look at God like that. We look at God and go, you know, I've got to earn my righteousness with God. I've got to, I've got to earn my way back to the Father. When the Father's actually just standing there, he's looking at us and he's saying, man, I'm just waiting for you to come home. This is the only time in Scripture that it's ever referred to or where we get this picture of God running. Because as Jesus is telling the story, we know the Father he's talking about is actually our Heavenly Father. It's God the Father. And he says how, how, how this Father ran out to his Son. It is the only time when God runs is when one of his kids come home. That's why it says in Scripture, let us come boldly to His throne of grace. Not because we've done something right or because we've de deserved X, Y, or Z. No, it's because of what Jesus did on our behalf that we can approach God boldly. Come to Him and say, Lord, forgive me 
Lord, thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for what you've done in my life. So, worship teams, welcome and come back. How do we, how do we put on this righteousness that we've spoken about? If, if, if Paul said, hey, put on, put on the full armor of God, put on, put on this body armor of God's righteousness, put on this, this breastplate of righteousness. How do we put on this righteousness that, that, that comes and guards our hearts? It's as simple as what we said last week with truth. It's as simple as, as, as every morning. And, and you may have to do this several times in a day as a, as a bit of a reminder. But to just in that moment just come and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your acceptance. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Thank you for the freedom that I have in you, not because of what I've done, but thank you that because of Jesus, I am in right standing with you. That's what we do, folks, to put on God's righteousness. That we acknowledge that, hey, my life would be an absolute mess without Jesus. That, 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 that he did something for me that I could never pay him back for. That, that he, there was a debt that I needed to pay. And there was no way that I could pay it. And yet he paid it in full. And as someone once said, and the check won't bounce. But it's recognizing that, hey, what Jesus did for me on the cross matters. And what Jesus did for me and for you on the cross matters. See, it is a life-changing moment for us when we say yes. I wonder this morning, where are you at? Oh, maybe you've been in a space where you've, you, you may somewhere along the line have said yes to Jesus. And said, hey, you know, I've said yes to Jesus, but all this stuff happened in my life. All these things, I allowed these distractions that ended up leading to a bit of destruction get in the way. And I, through these distractions, I feel like there's this, there's this chasm, there's this gap, there's this space between myself and God, and I just don't feel like I can get past that. And you may be in a place where you feel like, if I just do this, and if I just do that, and if I just do that, hey, then I can come back into right standing with God. Folks, this morning, please, with all the love in my heart, just hear me out. It doesn't work that way. We can't earn or deserve our way back into relationship with Jesus. The only way we come back into relationship with Jesus is to say, Lord, you know how I've been doing it all my way? I'm sorry. I'm sorry for being selfish. I'm sorry for wanting things my way, for doing things my way. Will you forgive me? I want you as a part of this life. In fact, I don't want you as a part. I want you to be this life. I want my life to be found in you and I want you to be found in this life. You see, Paul didn't speak about a reward of grace. 
He spoke about a gift of grace. Maybe this morning you need that gift of grace. Maybe, maybe you, in a, you are in a space where you've never really said yes. You've never really said yes. You've, 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 you've heard stuff. You've heard all about Jesus. You've, but, but somewhere along the line, there were people who, who lived in ways that contradicted were the way that Jesus lived. So if, if this is the followers of Jesus, then how can this Jesus actually be real, man? On their behalf, please forgive us. Because that's not the heart of Jesus. But this morning, you, you, you had a place where you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I've done it my own way for far too long. And I just, man, I, what you spoke about this morning, I want to be in right standing with God. I don't want, I don't want this feeling of separation from God. I don't want this, this, this emptiness, this hollow feeling that's there that I've tried to fill with all sorts of stuff. But it just hasn't worked. And I really just desire, Lord, for you to come and, and just, just be this loving father who runs out to meet his son. And I want to say this to you this morning, folks. He's here for you. Whether you're in category A or B or C or D or E, it doesn't matter. There is nothing that I can do to separate myself from the love of God. His love is there for you. His love is there for me. And this morning, it may just mean that you just need to say yes to his gift of grace so that you too can be in right standing with God. Father God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for just the truth of your word, Lord, as we've just read through it this morning. Lord, I thank you for how you've just so beautifully come and communicated your heart to us this morning. Lord, I thank you that you didn't come to make bad people good. But Lord, that you came to make dead people love. Thank you, Lord. Father God, I thank you as you are busy working in people's hearts and lives right now, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will really just come and fill them with your love right now, Lord. Lord, that you will just come and, 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 and just show them your, your, your unfailing love, Lord. That you have grace that covers every sin of life, Lord. Every selfish desire, everything that I've ever done in the past, Lord, I thank you that it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Lord, I thank you that more than anything in this entire world, you desire a relationship with me. Lord, that more than anything in this world, you desire a relationship with each and every one of us sitting in this building. Lord, I thank you that as we end the service, Lord, and just invite folks to, to come and chat, to come and visit. Lord, that, that we won't just leave that feeling, we won't just leave this moment in our seats, Lord, but Lord, that we'll act on it, that we'll, we'll come and engage, Lord, and just really come and, and just find out, hey, 
What does it feel like to have our Heavenly Father come run out and meet us? Lord, I thank you that you love us just the way that we are. But Lord, I thank you that you love us so much that you're willing to not leave us that way. Lord, I thank you for all of us as we head home, as we head into our daily lives, Lord. Lord, that we can really just live out of this place of of your love and and, and seeing the world around us through your eyes, Lord. Lord, that, that people will not be drawn to the me in me, but that they will be drawn to the Jesus in me. Lord, that all of us here, that, that people will not be drawn to, to, to anything in our lives, but the Jesus that we portray and represent. So, Father God, I thank you as we head out here, Lord, that you come and give us courage, that you come and empower us, to be an accurate representation of your Son daily, Lord. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust that you found this message valuable. For more information on who we are or how you can get involved, please check out our website at bikerschurchmidrand.co.za or connect with us through social media on Facebook or Instagram. Beyond that, have a great day.